Welcome to The West Steps, a podcast from the Colorado Children's Campaign that explores issues that impact Colorado kids and families. I'm your host, Beza Tedes. All right. Um, welcome back to uh, The West Steps. The legislator is back in session again. So the podcast has already started. So um, this is our first episode back Um since we talked to Riley a couple of weeks ago. So I figured we'll start with our youngest kids and talk about what's been happening. And I have two of the best people who speak on the matter and I'm gonna let them introduce themselves. Melissa, you wanna start? Sure. My name is Melissa Mattis. I am the early childhood policy fellow at the children's campaign and a former kindergarten teacher. Nice. And I'm Bill Jager. I'm the Vice President of Early Childhood and Policy Initiatives, a former uh, middle school and high school teacher. Uh, yeah, our, our staff is half teachers, <laughs> half uh, somebody who worked at school. So that's great. Um, so I know it feels like a lifetime ago, but at the same time, it feels like last week. Uh, we did have a big election that had a lot of consequences for the youngest kids in Colorado. So um, can you guys talk to us about what 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 the 2020 election cycle meant for early childhood in Colorado? Sure, I'm happy to start with that. Um, really interestingly, the election showed us that Colorado voters are quite split in their commitment to kids and families. We had some great wins, and then we had some things that make um, making progress and protecting our gains for kids even harder. So our wins were... The passage of Proposition EE and Proposition 118. So EE was universal preschool, which is funded by raising the tax on tobacco and instituting a new tax for the first time on nicotine products in Colorado. Um, And 118 established our paid family medical leave program in the state, things that are vital that will support families and children statewide. Additionally, we saw Amendment B approved by voters um, repealing the Gallagher Amendment and preventing an even worse crisis for public school funding. Um, But unfortunately, we saw two things happen that I already mentioned that will make this work harder. Proposition 116, which was a tax cut, and Proposition 117 placed new restrictions on enterprises, enterprise fees. So this is making it harder for us to pay for our critical priorities in the coming years. Um, We see this split that I mentioned initially is, is really a disconnect between the importance of public investment and then what voters are asking for from their government. And I think at the Children's Campaign, we recognize that we have a lot of more work to do to educate both the public and our elected officials on the disproportionate negative impact of something like a tax cut. I think Melissa has given you, you know, really good insight on the state election and really what the um, revenue picture is going to, how that's going to be shaped by those election outcomes. And just to build on that, I think at the federal level um, is also another place that we've got our eyes really closely trained to follow what the new Biden-Harris administration and the new Congress are going to do when it comes to early childhood. Um, already in the recovery package being proposed, we see a $40 billion investment in child care. Uh, We see really aggressive um, anti-poverty policies when we think about the child tax credit proposals and the way that um, the administration's looking at the tax code, a minimum wage proposal, again, that Colorado voters have already said they're behind, 
to see the country come along. Um, and I think in many ways that is first about relief and what we're hearing the conversation be the next conversation about recovery. And that's where I think we could see even more exciting things. Yeah. Um, I think that this leads me to my next question. I think, you know, Colorado, even if it appears blue, it's pretty purple when it comes to funding priorities. Um, So we've talked a lot about last season, how the coronavirus pandemic has really impacted the early childhood space and what that means for the future of our youngest in Colorado. Um, And I wonder if you can talk to us what the continued problems were but also highlight some of the changes in that space. Yeah, and Melissa's been out in the community listening as part of our pre-K development process, and I think mm. has a real finger on the pulse of what a lot of communities are struggling with. But maybe if I could start with a couple high-level um, data points. You know, we saw in Colorado uh, about half of childcare providers close their door. Some of those permanently, some of those temporarily. We're really struggling to know what is capacity going to look like when we come back. And we're fighting hard for the dollars at the state and federal level to make sure there are resources to support that. Uh, But that's a huge disruption to the sector that was already fragile. Um, You know, uh, for every dollar spent in early childhood in Colorado, um, about 67 cents of that dollar is coming out of a parent's pocket. Um, Unlike K-12 education, where we have a public system that has public investment. When we've seen these disruptions to families' economic uh, situations, uh, it's no surprise that it creates what was already a really fragile sector in early care and education and substantial disruptions. And then beyond just early care and education, you know, children are having a wide array of experiences, some really negative, uh, some really positive because, you know, families are able to spend more time together and, and build connections and avoid some of the stress of of some formal education environment. So this is not to say that the pandemic has been a universally um, adverse childhood experience. And sadly, we know that children whose families had already been underserved and historically marginalized are feeling uh, even more of the challenge today. So we are, I think, looking ahead to um, next year or the, the year ahead and really wondering when children enter school environments, enter early care and education environments, how the array of experiences shapes how they show up and what does that mean for the systems that we invest in and making sure they're prepared to support kids wherever they are, whatever this year has looked like. Mm-hmm. Let me see. I might quickly add. Oh, Go sorry. Ahead, Just that um, in my listening sessions on pre-K, I really hear um, that that the system that we had before the pandemic wasn't serving families, wasn't serving providers. It was really challenging for people to sustain their business, to keep it open, to make a profit as a childcare provider. And it was really hard for families to find childcare. Many communities in Colorado were already childcare deserts before the pandemic. And so we risk um, some pretty significant disruptions to to families, to family economic security over time if if we can't fix this. I think it's also really a shared concern of the people I've talked to, um, just the stress and the burden on families and and that women are dropping out of the labor force in disproportionate numbers. So we've heard all of that as well. 
Yeah. So let me see if I can pull up some of the major themes here and, and see if we can add a little bit more context. Um, so access and cost before the pandemic was a huge issue. And I'm hearing you both say those are being exacerbated by the pandemic, um, worse for some families than others. Um, and then this idea of the experience of the pandemic on the kids themselves, and that has not been universal and it requires the sector to to assess um, that differently when you know things start to come back again. Um, with the new you know vaccinations for teachers and early childhood workers, what are some of your concerns in in the things that you were hearing that um, the sector might not be quite uh, in terms of governance, in terms of finance? What are some of the biggest concerns that you're seeing? I think, um, you know, we should all be so proud that, at least with vaccinations, Colorado is right there with uh, other states um, that are leading the way in saying that early care and education teachers need to be valued and invested in and supported with things like access to vaccination, just mm -hmm. like K-12 teachers. Mm -hmm. um, the reality is that uh, because, and, and this just exposes this exact issue, Early childhood and early care and education is not a system. It is a disparate set of funding streams. It is a private marketplace of various care arrangements. And largely, we leave it up to individual families until kids hit the kindergarten entry age to figure it out on their own. Mm -hmm. and, and I think overwhelmingly, as we thought about what does the implementation of Prop EE and universal preschool mean? Uh, how has the pandemic revealed the fragilities in the sector? the racial inequities in terms of who is supported and who has access all speak to the fact that we've really not approached early care and education with a systems lens and thinking about designing systems with the families who face the largest barriers in mind to make sure that the system works for them. Instead, what we've done is we've said, here's a funding stream that helps you afford childcare. Here's a funding stream that gives you access to universal preschool. Here's a head start which goes federal to state. And we've left providers in a place where they have to blend and braid those funding streams to meet families' needs. We say to families, go fill out this application with the school district, this application with the county, uh, this application maybe with this nonprofit, um, yeah. you know, sliding scale. And so at a time in a child's life when everything is so foundational to what has come after, at a time in a child's life when their family is most likely to be facing the challenges of poverty or homelessness or eviction, we make it the most complex for them to get what they need. And so I think overwhelmingly what we've heard is we have to think about how do we come back and have a system that works for people mm -hmm. as opposed to how do we have a funding stream that helps them get some element of what they need. Mm -hmm. I was in an input session with, with parents um, and was told, you know, this is just going to be one more thing that 10 hours per week, two and a half hours a day, that doesn't serve anyone who has to work a full-time job that like, we don't want that. We need to be, the needs of working families need to be prioritized, respected and heard. And, and so we're, we're really hearing that loud and clear. Yeah. There's no way to return back to an economy that is before the pandemic without solving this issue of um, early childcare um, and access to it and its, its quality. So, which leads me to the um, next point. Now that the um, legislator is back in session, um, what are some of the major policy priorities for the children's campaign 
and how are you guys um, embedding some of the things that you're listening from this uh, listening tours and and what the data shows that, that you're going to try to um, get that by the legislator? So I, I would point to um, this issue around implementation of universal preschool and the listening we've done, the collaborative uh, work we've done in partnership with a lot of folks to understand what's going on. In many ways, we feel that the legislature and our state government need to set things in motion so that come fall of 2023, when universal pre-K is available, that we're not talking about, to Melissa's previous point, just another funding stream that doesn't meet the needs of uh, working families. Uh, it covers a portion. It doesn't do it all. And so, uh, you know, we're hopeful that the legislature will set in motion some solutions around the governance of the early care and education system and the funding streams that can be brought together in a much more seamless way that it's experienced uh, at a much better way for parents. Uh, you know, implementing this is going to continue for months and years. It's not a single legislative session. But if you get those things right, we can start having bigger conversations around quality and you know, access and workforce uh, that can be really exciting there. Um, I think that uh, um, we also know that the governor's budget included some proposed investments that we were really excited about, specifically around recruitment, retention, and compensation of our early care and education workforce. Mm. Because again, over the course of the past uh, nine months or so, uh, and we've known this to be true before that, but People are very worried about how fragile this early care and education workforce was to begin with, the way the uh, pandemic has further exacerbated those challenges. Uh, and again, we know that this is an overwhelmingly women, disproportionately women of color, grossly underpaid, especially given the vitality of the work. And so we're excited about those pieces. And Melissa, I know uh, maybe if you want to talk a little bit about the opportunities around lowering barriers to opportunity for immigrant families and some of the five family childcare pieces that might be helpful. Sure. Well. Yeah. One thing that additional thing that we're really excited about is the Fix 06 Coalition, which is a, a, a large group of different organizations working together to repeal a racist legislation that was passed in 2006 that prohibited undocumented individuals in the state from accessing public benefits and um, professional and occupational licenses. And so if passed, the work of the Fix 06 Coalition would allow undocumented individuals to access professional licenses. So that would mean something like a nurse's license or a childcare license. And it would also allow them the opportunity to access public benefits, which I think is a huge piece of this wondering about what do communities actually want in their childcare and where is our capacity and, and can we lift all of our families up so that they have an equal chance to thrive. Uh, the other thing that we are excited about is work that's being led by Clayton Early Learning, but again, in collaboration with other organizations to remove regulatory barriers for family child care homes to make it easier to, um, to run and sustain your business with success and to potentially allow for some alternative, um, alternative modes of delivering of child care. So this could be uh, staff, family child care networks, micro centers, co-ops, and more. I don't know, Bill, if you would add anything to that. No, I think, you know, again, this issue of access, opportunity, families who've been most harmed by 
the pandemic and and putting them at the center are all things that we're trying to make sure get baked into the early childhood conversation the legislature has this year. Oh, nothing big. Just build a system of early childhood. Then. <laughs> you guys have got nothing going on. Um, and I know these things take multi-year and sometimes it's so complicated. People don't know how to plug in into this work, get their voices heard, or even go find out what Melissa's learning from the listening session. So I'm wondering if we can give our listeners some pointers on how to get their voices heard, but also how to uh, be instrumental in lifting up this need for governance and this need for structural building when we just have a sector that is um, patchworks and not a cohesive system that centers um, kids and families. Melissa, do you want to talk a little bit about on the policy development side, some ways folks can stay plugged into the preschool development? And I'm happy to talk a little bit about the advocacy needs and ways to plug in. Sure. session. Yeah. Um, we have been convening um, both a preschool policy advisory group convened by our colleague Stephanie Perez Carrillo and a set of listening sessions, input sessions all across the state where anyone interested in telling us what preschool should look like, what do you need, how would you like the policy to be designed is able to participate. Um, I think the best way to engage with that would probably be to email me directly. Um, <laughs> And just yeah, we can we can put your email in the show notes. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I think you know. I think just I'm happy to provide. We've we've produced a number of different resources to have these conversations, so that you don't actually need to know anything about universal preschool before you start this conversation. Mm. I mean, and we're really interested in in these conversations being accessible to all. And so we're here to offer technical assistance if you need some support with Zoom, because we understand this is an unusual time to be hosting meetings. Um, so those are the two main things that come to mind there. And I think to sort of stay plugged in on the, the larger early childhood policy and advocacy, I'd point to a few things. One, uh, if you're listening to the West Steps, hopefully you're also a subscriber to Kids Flash. Uh, which is our weekly newsletter, uh, which um, includes action alerts, regular updates on all the major legislation, early childhood, child health, K-12, family economic security that impact child well-being. Uh, so those are great ways to track um, things that are going on. I would also invite people, and as long as we're giving out emails, uh, you, we'll share mine as well in um, the, the yeah, right, notes people. for today. So many emails. <laughs> Well, I, I, Melissa and I host a um, every other week check-in with anyone who wants to plug in on early childhood systems conversations and, and policy. And so, you know, we've got 330 early childhood providers, advocates, nonprofit, philanthropy, you know, colleagues who join us for uh, hour-long Zoom call. We hear regular updates from state agencies, the governor's office. We also point out budget trends, things that are going on and calls to action as part of that. And it's open. We have, you know, 80, 90 people join each uh, each time. And we try to do that every other week, like a Wednesday or Thursday afternoon, three to four, and um, want to keep that open. So anyone who really wants to get in at that level and plug in and get these regular updates uh, can email me and, and we'll be sure to uh, have uh, add you to the list of folks that we uh, include on our invites. 
Um, I know this won't be the last time we talk about this throughout the legislative session. So um, I just want to say thank you for making the time for our listeners and breaking down what the early childhood sector and policy priorities look like this session. And hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Pisa. Thank Always you. love checking in on these. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. The West Steps is a production of the Colorado Children's Campaign. If you want to support our work, go to coloradokids.org. Fun fact, you can also find out Erica's pet peeves on her profile page on our website. Please don't do that.